Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your church. We're thankful that and, and humbled that you have called us to yourself, uh, that you are sanctifying us, that you are setting us apart for your purposes um, and for your glory, as we just sang. And so I pray that this morning you would give us the ears to hear from your word. Uh, I pray, as uh, David prayed, that you would actually dig our ears out so that we are able to hear uh, the words that you have for us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we listen, as we take these words in, uh, that you would help them really settle in our minds and in our hearts. And I pray that we would leave this space after hearing the words, singing uh, in praise and worship to you, being in fellowship with each other, that we would leave this place uh, more in love with you this morning. We pray that for your glory. Amen. Thanks, Bobby. Good morning. Uh, as Bobby mentioned, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at SOMA. And uh, if you were with us last week, I know it's been mentioned a few times, but we gathered together last week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to celebrate his victory over the grave. And if you were here, it was just a really wonderful uh, time of worship together where we got together and celebrated, remembered Jesus' victory over the grave. Similarly, at Christmas, we get together and we celebrate our promised Savior coming to earth to, uh, to save his people. Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate him finishing that work. But we know that the Christian life is more than Christmas and Easter, that there's a valley down below those two peaks. And so this morning, we are actually picking back up in our uh, series through Exodus. It's been a little while since we've been in Exodus, so I'll set a little context. But um, in our passage this morning, we're going back into the valley so for context, um, God's people have been enslaved by an evil, uh, an evil pharaoh in Egypt, and he is getting anxious at seeing God's people thrive uh, in their midst. And so he's set himself to squashing the spirit of God's people uh, in their midst, namely through uh, oppressive manual labor. He's pressing down on them, tightening the screws on God's people, and they're starting to get desperate. And so they've cried out to their God for deliverance because they're, they're desperate. They're feeling the weight of this heavy burden that Pharaoh's laid on them. And they've cried out to God. And God has heard their cry. He's raised up a deliverer for them in Moses. And at the end of chapter 4, just before our passage this morning, which is uh, Exodus 5. It's on page 28 if you've got the Bible next to you. Um, at the end of chapter 4, Moses goes to God's people. And he brings this good news that God has heard you. God has seen your suffering and he's heard you and he sent me to go to Pharaoh and deliver you out of slavery in Egypt. And so this morning we read uh, chapter 5. Afterward, meaning after Moses had gone to the people and uh, assured them that God had heard them and would deliver them. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them 
rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw from themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and offer sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task, each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So God's people are being crushed under the heavy burden of oppression from Pharaoh. And they've cried out to God in hope that he would come and deliver them. And Moses and Aaron go to the people and they say, God's heard and he's going to deliver you. What they failed to mention is that God clearly told Moses that the way he was going to deliver them uh, was through suffering. That Pharaoh wouldn't relent at first. So there was a glimmer of hope for God's people when Moses and Aaron first came. And then God balks. Pharaoh tightens the noose and the flicker of hope that they had is snuffed out. Their night goes to pitch black and their impossible situation gets worse. This point lands for us here because we know the desperation of dark nights of the soul. We know the feeling of being crushed under the heavy burdens of life. And we know the sting of God's delay in our desperation. Now in the passage this morning, God's people are suffering under an oppressive regime. But I wanted to just highlight that there are other types of suffering that we go through on our road to glory. There's physical and emotional suffering, chronic debilitating illness, depression, anxiety that leave us asking things like, how can I even carry on? My body's failing me, my mind is failing me. And it feels like the darkness just won't lift. There are relational burdens that we carry when we sin against one another. We cut each other deeply, we turn our backs on each other. We let each other down and it leaves us asking things like, How can they even forgive me? How can I even forgive them? We feel 
the broken fellowship. There are societal burdens, much like what we see in, in this passage in Exodus, oppression, systemic injustice, and persecution, which leave us asking, when is it going to get better? When will this injustice no longer be part of my daily experience? And there are spiritual burdens, guilt, fear, apathy, doubt, which leave us asking, what do I do with this weight of guilt? What if God doesn't intervene? Why can't I feel anything? And what if God isn't there? The burdens that we carry in this life are real burdens. And they're burdens that people in this room in our community are experiencing. The sheer amount of suffering represented in this room is astonishing because we don't have a large congregation. I'm talking less than 100 people, and this is a generic list of some of the things that people in this room are experiencing. Chronic debilitating illness diagnosed at a young age. Chronic debilitating illness diagnosed in your golden years. Joblessness, kids with paralyzing anxiety, tragic loss of loved ones, car accidents and cancer, gun violence and miscarriage, suicide, infertility, deep betrayal from friends, from spouses, people that we've shared deep intimacy with, walking away, and sins that have been planted deep in our biology, addiction, crisis of sexuality and identity, depression, there are people in this room, in our body, struggling daily under these burdens, wondering when or if God will relieve them. And there are people who have all but shipwrecked their faith under the weight of this burden, who have said, let me go back to Egypt because it was better for me there. Yeah. The suffering of God's people is real suffering. The burdens are real burdens. And if it's not you, it's likely the person next to you. And so with Moses, we ask, why doesn't God deliver? Why doesn't God come and rescue us? So I want to focus on two points this morning. First, I want us to look at Satan at work in our suffering. And then second, we're going to look at God at work in our suffering. So in our passage this morning, you can see a few specific ways that Satan is at work in the suffering of God's people in Egypt. Now, it may seem somewhat counterintuitive, but Satan's primary goal in our suffering is not just to maximize the amount of suffering that God's people endure, right? His goal is to influence the way we respond to the suffering that we experience in this life. We will all go through valleys. We all have a cross to bear. And Satan's work is to influence the way that we respond to it. He wants us to respond in desperation and escape rather than in faith and in hope. So the way that he does that, there are four ways that he does that in this passage. Diversion deception, division, and discouragement. So first, diversion. Um, I don't have verse references, but it's in there. Um, <laughs> essentially, Pharaoh says, God's people are idle. Let heavier work be laid on them. He's trying to divert their attention from the hope that they have in God of sure deliverance from their suffering. So he lays on work, work on them. Deception, in, uh, in verse 9, I will read this one. In verse 9, Pharaoh says, Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. Does this sound like Satan in the garden? Surely God did not say if you eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that you'll die. Satan wants us to believe that 
we don't have hope in God that though he may promise us deliverance, his promises are empty. He uses deception to influence the way we respond to our suffering. And third, division. You see that uh, in our passage this morning, God's people were scattered when Pharaoh tells them to go collect their own straw. Satan uses division within the, uh, the people of God to influence the way we respond to our suffering. And then lastly, discouragement. All of these tactics are meant to discourage us and to crush the hope that we have of deliverance from our suffering. So it's not about how much we'll suffer, whether we'll suffer, or for how long. It's about how we respond to it. And Satan is active at work trying to influence the way that we respond to our suffering. Okay, so the second point is that God is also at work in our suffering. It's not just Satan. Romans 5.3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So the very thing that Satan is using to crush our hope, God is using to produce hope in us, namely our suffering. If you remember, God's people are in Egypt in the first place because God was delivering them from a famine. So he used his, uh, his servant Joseph. Joseph's brothers, who were jealous of him, sold him into slavery, um, which resulted in him getting a seat at the right hand of Pharaoh. And uh, Joseph's response to his brothers were, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So just as Satan is at work in our suffering, God is also at work in our suffering. But it's even, there's an even bigger uh, plot line here than God producing hope in us through our suffering. You don't have to turn there, but a few chapters ahead in Exodus 9, God has begun judging Egypt through the plagues, and he says to Pharaoh, uh, this is 9.16, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, meaning Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So God is not just producing hope in us through our suffering, but he's producing hope in other people through the suffering of God's people. And that's the, that's the bigger plot line we're going to focus on today. Um, if you will turn with me to John chapter 11. It's page 522 or 523. I'm going to... I'm going to read the whole chapter. Um, It's the story of Lazarus. And as I'm reading through this, listen for themes of God strengthening the hope that that his people have and also bringing other people in to the family of God through the suffering of of his people. So we're going to read read the passage, and then I'm going to go through and just make a few comments on some of these verses. This is John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? 
Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. These are the people that God delivered out of Egypt. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, 
You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is, better, it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, meaning the Israelites, not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. He's going back to verse four. Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. So Jesus knows that while Lazarus is sick and while his illness will certainly lead to death, that for the resurrected Christ, death is not the end. Our journey leads through death and not to it, but to resurrection life. Verse five, we see that Jesus loved them and so he delayed his deliverance. He delayed because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, knowing full well that Lazarus dying would grieve them deeply. In verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So uh, I think it's in Exodus 3, it might be in Exodus 4, um, when Jesus is uh, talking to Moses and telling him, I've heard the cries of my people. I know, he says, I know their suffering and I've come down to deliver them. So in verse 8, we see God entering into our suffering. He knows our suffering, and he's come down into darkness, knowing full well that the Jews want to stone him to get Lazarus. Yeah, sorry, it's Exodus 3, 7, and 8. I had that in my notes for a reason. All right, verse 14. Jesus is glad that he wasn't there when Lazarus was sick because of the sake of the faith of his disciples. In verses 33, 35, and 38, Jesus knows our suffering. He's deeply moved, and he weeps with them. Verse 45, many believed because he delayed and then delivered. So if Jesus, if Jesus just delays and never delivers, nobody believes in him, right? If he just delivers and doesn't delay, there are many who don't hear and see and get saved. And then lastly, in verse 51, that Jesus would not die just for the nation, God's people that he's delivering out of Egypt, but, that the, uh, but for the children of God spread abroad. So going back, to, uh, going back to Exodus 9, for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is not just delivering us through our suffering. He's not just shoring up our faith and giving us hope. He's giving others hope as we respond in faith and hope through our suffering. He delays because he's not done yet. He, God is saving a people for himself, and he's doing it through the suffering of his people. We see that play out again uh, throughout the book of Exodus as God delivers his people from their suffering and slavery in Egypt. Uh, the next part of his plan is to deliver them into the promised land that he promised their fathers. And on that journey, they make a stop through a place called Jericho. And in Jericho, there's a woman named Rahab. And scripture tells us that Rahab feared God because she had heard how he delivered his people out of Egypt, right? And God saves her. And God continues to deliver his people through Jericho because she hid the spies for them. 
So Moses cried out to God, why did, why did you delay? Why didn't you deliver the, deliver the people like you'd promised to do? God delayed because of Rahab. And God delayed because of you and me and because he's not done doing the work that he's doing of gathering a people for himself. And he's doing that work in and through our suffering. So how do we wait? How do we wait for God's deliverance? The suffering we experience is real. The burdens are heavy. And Satan is very active, discouraging us and trying to squash our hope in God. So first, in your suffering, ask for deliverance. God is our good father in heaven and he knows our suffering. He weeps with us in our suffering. Ask him for deliverance and be ready for him to delay. Second, get in community with God's people. If you're suffering, you don't have to suffer silently, whether it's the heavy burden of guilt from our sin, whether it's sickness or uh, you know, some of these other things that I mentioned. Don't suffer in silence. Get into community and bring it into the light and allow us to bear your burdens alongside you. So remind each other of God's faithfulness in our lives, right? God's faithfulness through scripture. It's what we do on Sunday mornings through our liturgy, uh, through our time singing and the time of prayer that Tony and Tamise led us in. We're reminding each other of God's faithfulness to us. We can join him in the work that he's doing of making his name known through our suffering as we endure our suffering. Recognize that God is saving other people as we endure suffering. And then lastly, we can stay ready for his return. So I mentioned that God delays our deliverance sometimes because he's not done doing the work that he's doing of gathering a people for himself. But one day he will be done doing that work. And when he's done, he's gonna come like a thief in the night so we can stay ready for Jesus' return. So last Sunday, we celebrated together Jesus' resurrection, his victory over death. But before that, we held a service, a Good Friday service, to remember the dark night that set up that glorious resurrection. Bobby read a passage from Isaiah 53 where it says that it was, it was the will of God the Father to crush his son. It was God's will to crush his son so that many would be counted righteous. God delays his deliverance because he's redeeming a people for himself. And he's doing that through the patient, enduring, faith-fueled suffering of his people. Satan opposes it, and he will do everything he can to discourage us. Okay? But God is also at work in our suffering. So every week we remember that God is working through our suffering and through death to deliver a people for himself. By taking communion, sharing a meal where we remind each other that God is working through the broken body and the shed blood of his son, Jesus. And so let it be a reminder for us that Jesus has gone before us and made this impossible endurance possible through his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit who he's left to help us. If you are a believer, I invite you to participate in this meal together. And again, just let it be a reminder to us that Jesus has gone before us and has made this enduring through our suffering possible through his suffering on the cross. Let me pray for us and then we'll take communion. God, you are good to us. God, the burdens that we bear in this life are real burdens. They are heavy burdens. And Satan is hard at work discouraging us. 
God, you've given us your son, Jesus, to make it even possible for us to endure such suffering. We're grateful, Jesus, that you went before us and endured the suffering of the cross so that we can endure suffering now that others might see your power in your name and be brought into this family. And God, we ask that as we participate in this meal, that we would remember that your work of deliverance is done through death, but does not end in death, but in resurrection life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.